am not OCD, far from it, <laughs> to the uh, far to the other side. But one little piece of OCD is bothering me. This altar cloth is crooked. <laughs> you probably couldn't see it, but from my chair, I could. I'm thinking, I can't go on with Mass. I just can't do it. <laughs> just a little off to the side, not having anything to do with our gospel, but more of our parish family business. A while ago, I was approached by the diocese about allowing a particular group to meet here. Uh, the request came from the bishop and from some others. It is an approved group uh, for, and it began as a group for parents and family members of same-sex attracted children or friends. You know, and it's a fine line. And, and for parents of LGBTQ plus children, it's a tough road. And so I agreed that we would do that. Over time, other folks who are LGBTQ wanted to be part of it to talk about their frustrations. And one thing about the, the issue is it's, the church is struggling to figure out how do we minister to people who need ministry and at the same time not abandon our teaching? The mantra of Pope Francis is find any way possible to reconcile people to the Eucharist. And so that's what the group meets about. It meets privately. It's a closed group. Um, what's said there stays there. So people can speak freely. And, of course, there's some people there that are advocating that the church should recognize same-sex marriage. You know, but it's a, a safe place where they can say that. Well, somebody went to the group that wasn't part of the group and been telling people about it in the parish. And so this morning, outside, after the 8.30 Mass on the sidewalk, there were people out there, I don't know who they were, passing out pieces of paper saying, Do you, did you know that St. Philip Parish is advocating for same-sex marriage and this and that, uh, and that it's following the way of a, and it just says, a Father Martin, who is a Jesuit priest. Well, they got the part right that there is a Father Martin, and they wanted you, everybody right the bishop getting to stop. Well, a little problem with that. Father Martin was personally asked by the Pope to attend the Synod on Synodality. So he's no slouch, you know, and, and this is the way to understand Pope Francis. Pope Francis is a professional scientist, not a, if you will, professional theologian, although he knows his theology. The difference between the two is that a theologian may consider a question to be closed. We've answered that. Don't ask it again. A scientist never quits answering questions. And what makes a lot of people nervous about Francis is that he would invite Father Martin. No, the whole purpose on the Synod on Synodality is to give people a place to talk about these things. You know, so that's part of that Synod on Synodality. It's not a bad thing. Uh, you know, if you really look at stuff that Pope Francis has done, 
He's not changed any church teaching along the way. He phrases it differently, couches it differently. He hasn't changed anything. But if you should walk out today and those same people are handing out those little strips of paper, uh, know that, A, no one in the name of St. Philip is advocating for same-sex marriage uh, at all. And then number two, this Father Martin, they don't know who they're talking about, and he is a major world figure. You know, so there's a little bit of what one of my professors always called invincible ignorance. <laughs> a little bit of that going on. So uh, anyway, if, if you get those, whatever, tear them up, don't litter. <laughs> um, but please know they do not represent at all what is in actuality happening here. And, and know, too, that my heart is to find a way to definitely keep people reconciled to the church. And in the case of LGBTQ, that's tough. That's tough. And, and people can see, oh, just because you're trying to do this, it doesn't mean I'm trying to do anything other than minister to people who need ministry. And, um, you know, I was charged by the bishop of my ordination to speak the truth from that pulpit. And I'll never say anything other than that. You know, so be at peace, you know, with me if you hear anything. But anyway, enough of that. Um, Thank you for that. I know not everybody agrees with the group. I get it. I get it. Uh, which reminds me of a story. We have Daisy sitting over here. And, uh, you know, when I see all these issues coming up, I don't want to necessarily compare apples and oranges, but a close relative, uh, maybe a sweet red and a granny white apple. <laughs> They're apples, but that green even before the civil rights movements, African-Americans were not welcomed in Catholic churches, that they would form separate parishes. The only one left in the diocese is St. Vincent de Paul in Nashville, uh, but there were separate Catholic churches for blacks. That, that became untenable, and even, even the most racist of pastors, and there were a few uh, historically, even they began to realize this is uncomfortable. Well, there's no other, no place in Franklin to go to a black Catholic church. Uh, we did have some black members here. Uh, Daisy was one of them. And so Father Cunningham, Alan Cunningham, I'm going to get your story, I might get a little bit long, wrong, but I'll tell them where they can go to get the story from you. But anyway, he asked Daisy if she would serve. And some parishioners were furious that that little black girl was on the altar serving. Pardon me? Black boy at that time. Black boy. This is Daisy's story. Uh, I credit it to her. But anyway, it was a little black boy. Parishioners told Father Cunningham if he continued to have blacks on the altar, they were leaving the parish. And Father Cunningham said, stood up and he said, if anybody's uncomfortable with black children serving on the altar, you can leave now. He took a stand. But the only reason I say that is 
there are times in, throughout our history when we haven't understood something. We try to deal with it. How we deal with it is sometimes misperceived. Uh, not everybody deals with those kinds of huge societal problems equally as well. So let's just say being a faithful Christian can get really messy sometimes. We just do our best. That's the best we can do. Now, on to the gospel, which actually is pretty good. It talks about two groups, the Herodians and the Pharisees. Now, the Herodian and Pharisees, they're both groups of Jews. The Republicans and the Democrats look like people going to a tea party together compared to the Herodians and the Pharisees. They hated each other. They stood for very different visions of Israel. Herodians were those who were lined with Herod, who was the governor of the area. Herod was in league with Rome, so he was absolutely hated, although a Jew. The Pharisees hate Rome because they're an occupying group. And so both groups, the only thing that they ever got united on was their hatred of Jesus Christ. They both groups saw him as a threat. So somehow they conspired to the two groups to come together and ask Jesus about this particular tax. And it was, a, it was an annual tax on every man, woman, and child in Israel. And every man had to pay, and the tax was one denarius, which was the equivalent of one day's wage, had to be paid for every man, woman, and child. Well, Israel had its own coinage, which you would use in the temple and other areas because they didn't want Roman coins in the temple. But the Roman coin, the denarius, uh, it had a picture, or a picture, a graving of Tiberius Caesar on one side and then another image on the back side. But on the front side, it says um, Tiberius Caesar, uh, August son of Caesar Augustus. And on the flip side, it says great king. Well, they hated that because it is basically, it's a declaration of divinity. And so the coin was just a center of controversy, especially the tax. And by the way, tax rate in Israel, the time of Jesus was about 81% total. So no wonder the, the Jews rebelled later on in the 60s AD. So they hand Jesus the coin. And they say, you know, and they ask about the coin. Is it right to pay the tax with this coin or not? So it's a trap, big time. If Jesus said it's right to pay the tax, the Herodians would love him, but the Pharisees would run him out of town. If he said it's wrong to pay the tax, then the Herodians would have seen him as uh, an insurrectionist or a rebel. So he, if he says one or the other, he's doomed. Jesus is kind of a smart guy. <laughs> you know. And he says, whose image is on this coin? And they say Caesar's. You know, and then he says, well, then render to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God. We may not all know this, but the same rule in Rome applies here in our modern day. All coinage belongs to the government, not to the individual that has it. 
And by that I mean if the government decided to change the quarter, it could recall all quarters in order to end the new ones, and, and we're not supposed to keep them. Now, coin collectors and all that, no way they're going to surrender. But coins and paper money belong to the government. That way it can be controlled in the, way, in the safe ways it should be controlled. Uh, so give to Caesar what Caesar's got his picture on it. Give it back to him. But then render to God what is God's. And probably a fight broke out at that point between the Herodians and the Pharisees. brought to mind when I remembered this story of one of our values as a country. That value is the separation of church and state. Now, we all know our history, that the reason that is written into our Constitution, the separation of church and state, was that so many people that came to the colonies came to get away from religious oppression by their governments. So that was put in there to prevent the government for, from ever oppressing a religion. Good thing. But somehow in the recent century, that has flipped. People see our separation of church and state. They don't see it as protecting religion from the government. They see it as protecting the government from religion. That, you know, kind of take us out of the discourse. You know, it, if we go to, a, you know, a political debate and says, well, my Catholic faith teaches me, we're going to be shouted out, not just because it's Catholic, but because it's religious. We'll be shouted out of the room. Keep your religion in your church. We don't want your religion, you know, in our society. We don't want your religion to tell us what to do. Keep your religion to yourself. So kind of reversed, you know. It seems that that clause now is trying to protect the government from religion. In our lives, we can't let that happen. The number one thing in our life is our faith. And we can't let anybody take that away from us. And, you know, some people are great philosophers and all of that, and they have tremendous underpinnings on how to approach a moral question. But most of us, we're not great philosophers. I'm certainly not. But I have my faith and I have the teachings of my church. And so that's where I come from. I cannot speak to moral issues without referencing the faith that I have, the church that I have. So I was gonna talk a lot more about that, but I've gone way over. Um, there's a clock on the wall back there, so I am watching the time, trust me. <laughs> Never be afraid to admit that your position is motivated by your faith in Jesus Christ. We cannot honestly separate church and state in our hearts. We can avoid problems, you know, politically, yes. Then render to God what is God's.